Hello and welcome back to the latest episode of our cybersecurity podcast. I'm Chloe Seaton, an ethical hacker in our cybersecurity practice here at PwC and your new host. And with that, in this episode, we're going to be talking about the growing regulatory focus on the cyber resilience of organizations. It is our increasing dependence on technology, which means that cyber resilience of organizations is important now more than ever, especially for those regulated sectors such as energy and financial services. It is cyber resilience that protects our national security, the integrity of our markets and the stability of our financial system. But... What does this increased scrutiny actually mean for those organisations in regulated sectors? And what are the actions they need to be taking to improve their cyber resilience and ensure compliance for tomorrow? Joining us in this discussion is Lucy Usher, an EMEA Intelligence Officer at FS Isaac, the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Centre. They are the only global cyber intelligence sharing community for financial services. And Luke Manfredi, a director here at our cybersecurity practice at PwC and the former head of cyber resilience for the energy and gas regulator Ofgem. So to kick off this podcast, I really wanted to get your thoughts on why there is this increasing focus on cyber resilience of organisations by our regulators. Lucy, if we start with you, what is currently driving up this agenda? Wow, we've observed an unprecedented busy two years on the cyber threat landscape. So regulators will be closely monitoring, of course, the same events and incidents that are relevant to our membership too. Events such as the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict, the fast-paced changing of tactics used by the wide variety of ransomware threat actors, and of course, the supply chain risk. Now, not only the regulators and the finance sector, but all sectors will be conscious of the considerations to the supply chain risk. Since the pandemic really took hold back in March 2020, there's a concentrated risk owing to the explosion of software suppliers and the rapid digitalization of banking systems. So many of the suppliers will have customers across the industry. And this is where being part of a sharing community such as FS Isaac really comes to the fore. There's also been a shift in accepting that, yes, exercising and knowing what to do to prevent a cyber attack to your organisation or supplier is good cyber practice, but also building in resilience of what to do when that attack happens. It's now more of a case of when, not if. So you say that you are only resilient as your providers. Um, What's the best way for organisations to minimise these third party risks that you've mentioned? Um, Be aware of the suppliers to your organisation, liaise with all of your different units and practice and exercise those uh, attacks and exercise when um, an an attack does happen to your supply chain attack as well. Yes, right. So as an intelligence officer, what are some of the cyber threats and risks that you are seeing for financial organisations? Well, as I've already said, it's been a really busy past two years back to, uh, say, 2020. With the initial start of the pandemic and the concerns around the supply chain's risks from that wider digital footprint with large volumes of workers based at home during those lockdowns, through to now with the the large focus on the Russian-Ukraine conflict. Now, whilst that conflict is ongoing currently and, of course, has taken a lot of attention and focus, there's been a lot of other cyber-related activity that, of course, would have been of relevance to the, the regulators as well such as the increasing variety of different cybercriminals using ransomware and extortion tactics. Now, we observe at FSIs that the general ebb and flow of the different malwares being reported to us by members, be that Imiter, Agent Tesla, Formbook, Remco's Rat. 
and also the proliferation of mobile malware targeting banking applications on handheld devices as well. We've also seen and worked through with our members the supply chain attacks on, say, SolarWinds, Microsoft, Acelion. And these are large suppliers across all of the sectors, not just finance. At FSI, we have a member-led cyber threat level. And I always think this is a really important uh, part of what we offer at FSI. Now, it's essentially a thought leadership regional group made up of FSI members. We at FSI, we don't set that cyber threat level, but we enable our members to uh, discuss and derive that themselves. It's not set by ourselves. So within the last eight months, so back to December time in 2021, it's been raised from guarded, uh, consider that more of a business at usual uh, stance, to elevated twice, once back in December for the log for shell vulnerability, and then again in February following on uh, the uh, Russia-Ukraine uh, situation developing. It's excellent for our members to share not just their thought leadership and mitigation advice with the wider FSI community and beyond, but it also goes to strengthen the sectors outside of the, uh, the our community as well, as well as building the preparedness too. Switching focus over to you, Luke, now. So if we're looking at this from an energy sector point of view, particularly looking at the critical national infrastructure, where organisations' infrastructure tends to be a lot more complicated with that added layer of operational technology, they're not just dealing with their IT infrastructure now, they have that operational technology that they also need to think about, which has also become more connected during the pandemic with people working from home to the internet, raising risks in that area. So with your background in cyber resilience at Ofgem, what does the cyber threat landscape look like for those sectors in energy? Yeah, thank you, Chloe. Uh, in particular for the energy sector, we are driving, as you, everyone knows, about our net zero uh, goals. That means that organization will be more reliant on data uh, than ever. That means that that convergence between operation technology and, and IT and that requirement to access data is going to be ex- increasing and it's accelerating this transformation and requirement for data. That obviously from a threat perspective means that organizations perhaps were working in isolated mode or not directly connected in particular in their operation technology space. Now they require that data whilst they're relying with legacy assets, assets that perhaps were not considering security into account in the past. And that obviously, from a threat perspective, is a massive challenge. And as this organization has a, have a such a massive asset landscape, uh, hundreds of thousands of sites scattered a, a, across the, the country, that means that the transformation and changes that they need to make to their infrastructure will take some time, even to get them to the minimum base standard. Uh, especially in the energy sector, uh, we also seen a lot of additional players coming in the market. Instead of being a monopoly with only a few players, this requirement for decentralization means that additional organizations that have been added into, into the scope of the regulation and uh, obviously additional threats are going to be able to potentially impact those additional organizations. Perhaps they're small, they do not even have a security function, consider uh, when they started. So that means that from an impact perspective, it's going to be increasing quite a lot. Yeah, great. And I think one of the things that's really interesting in the energy sector space is because now the operational technology is kind of the new thing that we need to protect for our critical national infrastructure. There isn't that much advanced monitoring systems out there for those operational technology networks. Um, And they're very new. So one of the things that I do within my role in ethical hacking is thinking about, you know, how are these networks these going to be attacked um, and what monitoring and defense 
systems are already out there. And one of the things that we have kind of discovered is that they're not very good at doing that. And I think that's the difference between the energy and the financial sector, if I'm right, is that because we are now seeing operational technology come to the forefront, we don't have the monitoring systems there quite yet. Is that changing? Uh, well, it's evolving, I would say. Uh, we need to think, as you just uh, mentioned now, the lifespan of the energy sector or, or power plants uh, uh, in general tends to be 20, 30 years. So a lot of our, our infrastructure has been built, built in the 80s, 90s as well. That means that cyber was not even a topic back then. So as you rightly pointed out, we uh, a lot of organizations need to start thinking on this, this, uh, this concept of defense and depth, especially for the legacy assets. You may still have critical processes running all let even windows boxes without the out of out of support without the necessary layers of security that you would expect in the financial sector or in, or in other sectors and with this increased connectivity that i just mentioned obviously this is a massive challenge so what organizations tend to do is to to apply this wrappers, if you like, to understand what are the crown jewels, the critical processes, the SCADA systems or critical uh, uh, yeah, critical infrastructure that are actually run, running uh, activities and then understand what are the type of monitoring they can do. The challenge, like I said, we're talking about legacy infrastructure. In many cases, organizations still have a somewhat of a flat network, uh, not really divided between the uh, operation technology space and the normal corporate networks. So they always need to go in a journey, understanding what they got, understanding the crown jewels, segregating the network, and only then start thinking about monitoring the lower levels. That's evolving, and especially over the last three years, has been evolving a lot. And there's a lot of uh, specific monitoring technologies for operation technology that are helping to drive that change. But yeah, it's taking time, especially we're talking about uh, in general and energy has hundreds of sites, different level of maturity, legacy systems. So it takes a long time. The change process is quite slow. And would you say that your clients are waking up to that fact that they need to do that now? Or would you say that it's still a bit of a slow burner, still trying to get, you know, leaders on side in this space? No, I think that they, uh, since 2018, they made substantial progress. Obviously, before the regulation was there, this was really slow, and, and, and but now there's a, a massive focus from all regulators really to, to ensure why this is important. And now, as you said, the first thing is to ensure they have the leadership sponsor and support all the way from the CEO, the right govern, governance in place. And especially this is a new challenge for CISOs as well, because back then they were only perhaps responsible of IT. That's what they know. This is what they've been doing for years. A lot of a sudden, oh, I need to worry about all this new space that is not they, they don't even speak the same language as engineers on the ground. So they, that they need to break those barriers first, get the buy-in, start have, uh, discussing the same language with the business and, and the engineers, and try not to impose this normal cyber mindset and technologies because that will not fly in, in, in the lower levels. Yeah, I think it's building that bridge between you know the engineers on the ground and the people that have been doing IT security all their career. Absolutely. Thank you. So in response to these growing threats and the potential impact of them, what is the regulatory action that we're seeing? We've mentioned a little bit, but around cybersecurity and cyber resilience. So for uh, you, Lucy, let's start with you on that. 
Okay, so um, see the the Bank of England and the Prudential Regulation Authority, also more commonly known as the the um, PRA, they run the CBEST framework, um, which is an intelligence led penetration exercise. And the best way to think of it is like a toolkit to um, assess an organisation's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. So this is an absolutely excellent way to identify and assess those financial organisations deemed critically important to stress test their systems, strengthening their posture and in turn the wider financial. Um, ecosystem. That's a really good point. So uh, in a way, like uh, like I mentioned before, other sectors are slightly behind in comparison with the financial sector. And this is something that they're trying to leverage from them as well. And in, in the future, they're going to be introducing a similar scheme across all the different critical infrastructure sectors. But so far, the main focus, like I mentioned, is on the NIS uh, regulation to ensure that all operators meet these very basic profile minimum requirements in terms of cyber resilience and then take it to the next level. But that, like I said, it will take some years to progress. So uh, in particular, uh, we've been working in the NIST regulation for the last two years, uh, sorry, four years now, uh, since 2018, in particular in the UK. And now this is evolving because so far the sectors that are, are captured are the, what were deemed to be considered critical sectors back then, which is only water, electricity, uh, health, uh, and obviously uh, the communications and obviously uh, financial services. But now there are, uh, this has been evolving over the last couple of years and what is called NIST 2 is coming uh, in the horizon, uh, in particular firstly in Europe, and this is going to be also introduced in the future after Brexit in, in the UK. But this is expanding, uh, especially on the back of the pandemic, with what we have seen so far, expanding and dividing what they have what they call essential uh, services uh, and also important sectors. So that means that additional areas as essential that were not considered before, like public administration, space, uh, and additional areas uh, that I cover like important sectors that will include critical manufacturing. For example, we saw in the pandemic how food is now extremely important, obviously, and especially uh, manufacture of medical equipment. Those are going to be considered and captured by the regulation as well. So that will mean that a lot of sectors that perhaps in the past did not have cyber into account or the level of maturity was really, really low, especially if we're talking about food uh, production, supply chain around those areas, they will need to start thinking about what are these new requirements that are going to be posed by the regulators. Great, thank you. And just on that point, and, you know, either one of you can answer, Lucy or Luke, for these, you know, now important sectors that are the added uh, group into the regulation, the NIS2, how are they going to cope? W where do they start when it comes to understanding their cyber threat landscape? Lucy, if we start with you. Of course. So I would say for non-financial organisations, they should engage with their own sector regulator uh, and get advice there. But also the, the UK's National Cyber Security Centre, uh, the NCSC, they have a wealth of advice and guidance on their website. They are a helpful bunch um, and really responsive to feedback as well for, for their guidance as well. They have their active defence programme and their advice and recommendations are really, really useful. And so we at FSI's at push our members to the the NCSC um, advice as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that will be the first recommendation in general from regulators. They, there is a lot of information out there. And obviously, this organization will need to start from, some, from some, somewhere. The main number one thing is to understand your essential service, understand what are your crown jewels, understand what you got, what are the things you cannot live without. Uh, 
and take it from there, ensuring that, as I discussed before, you have the right support from the top in terms of what they're going to be, the requirements, what is going to be the role if you have a CISO, or what, what the requirement from a governance perspective to ensure that you can push any security initiatives, because without that buying at, that organi- at, at the top of organization, it's really difficult to progress. And once you understand your assets, especially if the organization is a lower level of maturity, they need to be at least in a position if something goes wrong tomorrow, how they're going to be able to respond and recover. So the second thing that uh, normally regulators will discuss with organizations until you get your progress, uh, you can progress your improvement plans and you can get the ba- basics of, of security in place, at least have a well-rehearsed, response and recovery plan and again working with the likes of NCSC that they can support on that as well especially consider if they're essential services or uh, yeah or critical sectors so it's protect the crown jewels buy in from the top and also a good recovery plan yeah. am I missing anything out of those um, I don't think so I think also sort of siloed departments yeah. have just got no place in the cyber threat world right now right so no absolutely all of your your departments what they do and and also have a good comm strategy as well include them in your exercising yes information sharing great so we touched upon it a little bit there um, but just adding a little bit more meat to the bones now I guess the important bit why our listeners have tuned in so what does this actually mean for these organizations the ones that are now the important sectors but also the ones that are critical what does this mean? What are the action steps and what do they need to focus on now to ensure compliance, especially now we've got NIS2 coming in? Yeah, sure. The first thing, uh, they will be required this also by all regulators, as I mentioned before, to perform an initial self-assessment to understand what is the current security posture across all different areas of the cyber, and in, the, in particular in the UK, of the cyber assessment framework or, or CAF. And this, again, like I mentioned, starting from the basics, understand what you got, understand your assets, understand what's your current governance, uh, and then moving down the, the levels, understand how you manage risk, which is the core of the NICE regulation. And once you understand your asset, you can do a mapping exercise to perform a, your self-assessment against your crown jewels, against the threats that you may be identifying in particular. And, and again, it doesn't have to be super specific. You can start at high level, uh, get your key assets first, Perform that self-assessment, and then you will. And you, uh, the, the suggested approach is to do that mapping against the CAF and against your your controls, and understand what are the risks and how to mitigate those risks. That obviously will lead to a transformation program or improvement plan, and and that's what the normal organization need to showcase to the regulator and how they are going to be progressing this over again many years in in some cases, depending on where they start on the journey. And is there anything additional from a financial perspective that you would like to add there, Lucy? No, I don't think so. I think uh, Luke's covered it really. But just to reiterate, just be vigorous in your self-assessment and make sure you're continuously exercising, testing to find the gaps, plug them, reassess and test again. So would it be fair to say that our financial sector appears to be more mature in their resilience planning compared to the energy sector? Uh, whilst I wouldn't want to compare them to the energy sector, the, the finance sector is obviously quite mature in this regard. And whether they are required to or not, um, information sharing does help firms get intelligence and knowledge of best practices needed to ensure that compliance as well. They're able to discuss in communities what the threats are at FSIs that we have members um, explaining their own analysis on particular intelligence and also how other firms can mitigate against that threat. 
Also, we've got different working groups for special interests, and that's a really useful way for uh, organisations to talk and discuss different types of threats and interests. And I think that the finance sector have just been doing this for a longer period of time. Yeah, and I think, you know, anything... Even if it's cross sectors, there's lessons to be learned. So that's why I asked the question. It's around, is there anything that, you know, the financial sector is doing that the energy sector could take up? Well, as I I mentioned before, the CBEST is an absolute uh, brilliant scheme. I I think it will be uh, ideal to replicate what the uh, financial service uh, sector are doing in terms of the CBEST scheme, because that's a really well and thought process on how to perform testing about specific threats. Uh, and I think the other sectors are going to be introducing that, that in the short term as well. Uh, that will be really key, I think. Uh, and I also the interest groups uh, uh, that uh, Lucy mentioned is something that also all the sectors are leveraging as part of NCSC, and that is working really well, in particular in areas like you mentioned that perhaps have not been considered in the past, like security monitoring for OT and other initiatives that perhaps other sectors are slightly behind. So they, they can and leverage the lessons learned from the financial sector and from the NCSE, obviously, and how they can really upskill the security capabilities quite quicker. Great, thank you. Um, so this is a, a question for you, Lucy and Luke. We'll start with Lucy. Um, do you have any examples of some of the ways that organisations are addressing this to improve their cyber resilience and ensure compliance? Well, again, that does go back to um, whether or not that Um, They're part of information sharing uh, groups. And I think that's a really, really useful way to, um, if you consider it like a safer neighbourhood sort of scheme, sort of, I can't help but refer back to my sort of police background. Um, If you can sort of ensure that your good cyber practice works, then you can also share that wider across the industry. And it's, um, we we have um, a wide public-private partnerships uh, that we largely support with the UK's NCSC, for instance. And again, it's spreading that in that experience and also knowledge throughout the other sectors as well. Is is that kind of where we're at within the energy sector, or would you say that information sharing is still a learning curve? No, they have certain uh, c- certain ways to share information. They have their own forums where they get together and they discuss threats and any matters regards for security. So that's already in place only for the last couple of years, to be to be honest. But it's it's working quite well. But but again, in terms of specific activities that they're doing, as I mentioned before. As they have such a massive uh, asset base, imagine thousands of sites all across, in particular in the UK, for example, they start doing some sampling, getting different types of sites from legacy, some from newer sites to perform those self-assessments that we were discussing so they can understand what is the different level of controls and how they will vary depending the sites, if they're newer, if they're older, especially as we've dis- been discussing so far, as we open the floodgates with, with more data, integrating operational technology in, in, into uh, the scene as well. Um, There's also, um, there's a few cyber coordination groups in the UK who work with the regulators uh, to address issues like third party uh, supply chain issues or cloud security. So it's, it's always really good to know that it's not just a one way street. Yeah. And Luke, your answer... Um, mentioned on you know different regions across the world which leads us nicely into the next question so we've already talked a little bit about incoming NIS2 but what does the future regulatory landscape look like outside of our front door we're talking in different regions across the world now so in other countries what are they doing to improve their cyber resilience what regulations are they facing 
Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. In particular, for example, in, in America and the US, uh, they have in the energy sector what's called NERC SIP, uh, which is also in similar as we have in the UK, but they have a slightly different approach that instead of being a risk-based approach, somewhat uh, in certain areas, they need to comply with minimum set of requirements and go through, sometimes it becomes, it could become as a tick box exercise. So it's really careful to, and that's why I think the NIST regulation learns from that in a way so to ensure that uh, Operators of essential service don't see this as, okay, I need to comply with the standard and they will only do things that are bounded by the standard because as we've been discussing so far, threat actors do not think that way. It always has to be a risk-based approach. And I think that that's the main lessons learned from, from the NIST regulation and it's going to be continued to evolve as part of NIST 2. Uh, and I think... Over the next couple of years, uh, as we're going to be ex expanding the footprint, as, as uh, now NISTU is already mentioned, expanded to new sectors, sectors perhaps with a lower level of maturity that will take some years to evolve, especially in the operational technology space. The pace of change, as we were discussing, is tends to be slower. So in order to make any change on the regulatory space, we always need to think this is going to take two, three or four or more years ahead to actually be implemented on the ground. And the threat actors do not think that way. The threats are, are right now. So that's also something that we always need to consider. Great, thank you. And what about you, Lucy, from the finance, financial sector perspective? What are you seeing in other regions around the world in terms of their regulation? Sure. So um, for our sector, it's not just financial regulators making the regulations anymore. Cyber, well, it's everybody's game now. Um, so the regulatory landscape is getting more and more complicated. So whilst NIS2 does try to achieve a level of harmonisation, as Luke's mentioned, between the regulations, all sectors and governments are essentially continuously playing catch up to the current risk and, uh, and threat landscape. Compliance is especially complicated for multinational companies who are encountering the same type of legislation, however, in multiple locations. So the overhead to comply with new efforts around the world is greater. However, efforts like the cyber risk profile, which has been developed by the industry, attempt to map all global regulations back to NIST. So you can uh, self-assess once and then reuse that in multiple locations. So to provide a recap, we've talked about the current geopolitical climate and what exactly is driving up this agenda of increased regulations to improve cyber resilience. We've shone a light on the greater digitalization and operational technology. We've dove into the actions organisations need to be taking now uh, that regulations are tightening. Finally, providing some details around what exactly are those new regulations, for example, being NIS 2. But before we wrap up, I wanted to ask our guests today for their final thoughts and a piece of advice or takeaway for our listeners. Luke, if we start with you. Yeah, in terms of advice, uh, my suggestion will be not wait for the regulation to hit your door. Really, this is something you can start right now, especially for the organizations that are not captured by the regulations as yet, uh, because the last thing you want, especially if the level of maturity is really low, is to only be starting when the regulator is knocking at your door, because that will show that you've not been investing in cyber before. So this is something... And the self-assessment, everything that we were talking so far is something that organizations can and should really be starting right now, especially considering how the new sectors are going to be captured by additional regulations. That will be Great. So that's being proactive rather than reactive. Exactly. And you, Lucy? I would say you're not alone. There are others having similar discussions to what you might be wanting to have. So please join in with your peers and also seek out those sharing communities, share experiences, your mitigation advice, be a good citizen and exercise, exercise, exercise. 
Thank you so much both. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to our cybersecurity podcast to help you stay ahead of the cyber trends and issues that matter most. In the meantime, you can check out our website at pwc.co.uk forward slash cybersecurity. See you next time.